Hello, everybody, and indeed, welcome to another edition of Hoosier Hometown Heroes. This is episode nine. How are you? Okay, I have a question for you. Have you ever known someone or been around someone that just has that it factor? They have something. They have that mojo. They are the life of the party. All eyes are on them. When they walk into a room, they light up. All that sort of stuff. There is just such a person right here in our fair city of Indianapolis, and that person is Press Maxson. The focus of my interview today, Press is an author here to promote his latest book, Pigeon. He is also an accomplished musician and a professional copywriter. Press is just one of those people. He's got that mojo. I think Press is going to be famous someday, and all you listeners can say I heard it here first. So I'm excited for you to hear this interview. Before we get to the interview, I want to, of course, bring in associate producer Louis Val to get his take on the heart of the matter. Greetings, Louis. Good day to you, sir. Oh, no, you're in a goofy mood today, I can tell. <laughs> so, Louis, you just completed the edit of the Press Maxon interview. That's correct. And if you could sum it up in a couple of sentences. What will listeners glean from this episode with Press? Okay, here's my take. This episode will inspire you to be creative. Yes, I found it very motivational. Absolutely. By the end of it, you'll want to go build something. And you know, who knew how much hard work it was to write a book? I know. With free kids, no less. Yeah, I couldn't do it because I need more sleep. Well, thank you, Lewis, for your thoughts. You're welcome. And uh, thanks, of course, must go out to our sponsor, Prometheus Consulting. Prometheus is Indy's choice for trusted IT support and consulting. Prometheus has been serving the Indianapolis market for 20 years. Call Prometheus today for all sorts of help with your computer systems, 317-733-2388, or find us online at Prometheus.com, and that's P like Peter, R-O-M like Mary, E-T-H-I-U-S.com. And now, please enjoy my interview with Press Maxson. The author is Press Maxson. The book is Pigeon. It is available on Amazon.com and here locally in the Indianapolis uh, area at Indie Reads Books on Mass Ave and at Books and Brews in Carmel. My guest is Press Maxson. Welcome to the show, Press. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Totally psyched to have you on. And uh, for the listeners at home, I I had to um, just start recording because we were going to, we just naturally fell right into conversation. I, I wanted to capture that. So, um, so you've been well, it sounds like I've been well. Good. Yeah. I want to, here's where I wanted to start with you press. I first learned of you. And just before we started recording, we were talking about, uh, you, you were, you were telling me you have buddies that podcast. Mm-hmm. I first learned about you on uh, through Indian Tune, Darren, cool. Darren's yeah. podcast, yeah. which is that still going? Oh yeah. I know he's yeah. still going. Yeah, so it's still a podcast. He still records episodes, but he is, in in my opinion, he'd have to tell you the real spiel. But he's really all in on the online streaming twenty four seven. Yes, I mean, it's a it's an online radio station now, a little bit more than it is a podcast. But he still has episodes, um, you know, here and there uh, that that'll air. I believe uh, I've recorded one recently, but oh, you have. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so it must be going somewhere. I did see. I think um, I was kick, looking around the other day on. Uh, like, I think, face either his website or Facebook or something, and I did see mention of twenty four seven radio show. It's cool. I, I couldn't quite figure out, figure out how to. I didn't have a lot of time, so <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to get there. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do that because that's literally one of my favorite podcasts well, of all I, time. I uh, love, I love it. Let's give him like a quick official shout out. What we're talking about is Darren Snyder. The website is IndianTune.com, and it's. 24-7 live streaming radio of local Indianapolis music. Yes. And that is the hook. And I think once you hear it, 
at least for me, once I've, I heard it, I was impressed at how much quality music, original music was coming out of the Indianapolis totally. music scene. And I know a lot of people out there would say, well, you know, what Indianapolis music scene? But if you want to discover it, uh, Darren Snyder's Indian tune is the place. And that seems to me for him, uh, like it is a, it's a labor of love, right? Uh, I mean, hundred <laughs> percent. He is Indianapolis musician's best friend. He's gotta be. Uh, unquestionably, unquestionably. I think it, yeah, him, uh, Ben Cannon, who, who does a lot of work with him, who books a lot of shows locally and represents a lot of artists locally. Um, those guys are, are so, so good for Indianapolis musicians. Really cool. All right. So I may reach out sometime if I can't, if I can't Do get it. that radio thing going, I'm going to reach out Do it. Yeah. figure out how to get it going. Cause I miss that podcast. Help. I always talk to you about it. So, so I got to tell you, once I saw your, I, I totally missed your fir- first book. It was it, somehow it was not on my radar, but pigeon was on my radar. Oh, good. And I was really surprised. I've always thought of you as this musical performer. That's how I knew you. That's kind of the box I I put you in. So I was really surprised to see that you are an author. Tell me, how did that get started? Is this a long-term thing or a new thing? No, yeah, good question. So I uh, went to college at the University of Iowa, and I have a degree in English. And I... I've been playing music for a long time. I mean, I started taking piano lessons in second grade, and my dad was in a group. Both my parents were in a singing group at church. So I was always around music, but I always liked to write as well. I wrote little, you know, books, pretty much, you know, five-page books, pretty much as early as I could possibly write. And I'm sure my parents have those somewhere. I hope they do. (laughs) Uh, But... um, in college, I really discovered. I went into college as as an, with an undecided, you know, course of study. Yep. But I discovered that I was enjoying the writing courses the most, and I was doing well in them, better than a lot of the other courses. And so it became a it became an exercise. And well, I'm you know, if I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to do it, you know, doing something fun. And at the time, I thought, well, an English degree could lend itself to so many other things, you know, and maybe that was a foolish thought. But if I'm really being honest, when I left college, I, I thought, well, it doesn't matter anyway, because I want to be a professional musician. And so let's just get out of here with a degree, yep. something I really enjoy doing, something that stretches me creatively, that allows me to explore that creative side of my brain that I feel at most most comfortable in. And I really, as soon as I graduated, I focused 100% of my creative energy on writing music and lyrics and had a really good time, spent about 10 years doing it and was on and off making it my living and making it my side gig. And uh, eventually I just sort of, it, it became hard. My wife and I got married, we had kids and I wanted to be in the house instead of out of the house after eight sure, at night, you sure. know, uh, in order to practice, in order to record in our house. I, I couldn't make noise all of a sudden, you know, past certain yeah, hours or yeah, really yeah. anytime. Kids right. are always demanding. Oh, of course. oh they want to join in, Exa- too. That's oh, the other that's thing. It. If they can hear it, they want to come join in. Exactly. So I started to channel my creative energy back into writing. This is probably five or six years ago. And I was right going into grad school. I was getting my MBA because I also discovered that if I really wanted to pursue a life as a professional creative, I was going to have to know a lot more about business than I knew Mm. previously uh, from being a musician. I mean, you learn a lot about business as a musician, but there's, you also don't have to know a lot about other aspects of business that I, I discovered I would need to feel valuable, you know, especially to a potential employer. Sure. So got my, my graduate degree and, and really sat down and said, you know, I, what is my dream job? I gotta, I want to do it. And uh, the, the, were you married at this time yet? Yep. Yeah. Oh, you are okay. Yeah. So, so we got married in 2009, and this was probably in about 2011. Okay. I, got I, it. I started to to make the change to okay, it's time to stop being a musician. Uh, not stop being a musician, but just stop being a live musician, going trying and doing it for a career. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that was about when the the transition happened, and I and I got a, a job as a writer uh, first, and it was only after writing for, you know, writing advertising, which is my my day job, you know, as a copywriter, uh, 
writing website copy, writing blog posts, SEO articles, you know, really almost kind of anything in the digital space that I say to myself, well, I wonder if I could actually write a novel, like start a story and instead of end it in a hundred words, a thousand words, two thousand yes. words, what if I could what if I could stretch a story across yeah. sixty five thousand words? Go right to the ultra marathon, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> let's just see what happens. So the first book really it took two years to write and and it was me uh, seeing the process of how to write a book. It, it was two years because I, I didn't know how to do it. I just Interesting. Had to, you know, learn my own process. I read a little bit about how other people did it and, and tried you know some trial and error on how to write a book. And, and that book is called Bender at the Bon Parisian. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. But I don't mind that you never heard of it because oh. Pigeon, I, I learned a lot of lessons. Pigeon, in my opinion, is better. I hope it's better. Uh, I, ho- I think the story hangs together from page one to page whatever, depending on you download it or read it. Uh, yeah. Um, but... I, yeah, I, so I, I'm, I think I've, my process is starting to even out a little bit. and that, That's the basic history. Yeah, that's totally exciting. I will tell you, speaking of Bender, you said the other book is Bender? Bender at the Bender region. Yeah, okay. I, I just call it Bender. Bender for time. short? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just before you arrived, I was kicking around on the internet, and I found your, um, it was kind of like a, a video promo for the book. Right. Just brilliant. You'll see. You'll see on Twitter that I tweeted it out. Uh, well, I will just, retweet that immediately. Just, just okay. brilliant. Just I, what you did is brilliant. Unbelievable. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that comes to mind. Well, wait, let me, yeah, let me yeah. since you mentioned, it, let me talk yeah. about it for just a second. So sure. I, I, there's a, such a thing as book trailers. I didn't know that. You know, like movie trailers. Yes. There's such a thing as book trailers, and I didn't wow. know that before I started writing a okay. book. So I decided after I wrote Bender, I thought, okay, I'm going to have to make a trailer. And I was already working on an on a self animated music video where I was drawing every single cell of the animation, <laughs> and uh, I had, I bit off way more than I could chew with that project because the song I was trying to to do an animated music video for was three and a half minutes long and I did all the math and it was something like 660 individual drawings. (laughs) And I realized that if I really cranked, I mean, if I really cranked, took a day off, ignored the world, I could do something like 80 quality drawings. And at the end of the day, I hated drawing. You know? That's interesting. So I always said to myself, okay, if um, if I just take a week off and do this, and then I, you know, I could get finish the whole thing, and then I realized it would never work because I would hate drawing so much at the end of it. So I already had something like 120 drawings, and I thought, okay, if I whittled this down to just a minute or two long Pro, yeah. promo, uh-huh. you know, I could, uh, I could voice it, I could whatever. Um, it's fa- it's right. It's, it's a- awesome. Oh, it's thank totally you. awesome. So it's an animated music video, or not a music video. It's an animated book trailer. It's out there plugging Bender, and I haven't decided what to do for Pigeon yet, but I probably won't draw it. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> uh, probably not. Well, you got to keep it fresh, you know. Exactly. exactly. Um, <laughs> getting back to music, just for a second, the thought occurred to me as I was reading Pigeon. Um, Knowing what I know of you, you know, I have mostly thought of you as, as my, my exposure to you has almost been completely as a live performer, or I see it like live on video on social media or whatever. And I've heard you on, we mentioned Darren's podcast a couple of times, but part of what you bring to that game is, you know, you're, you seem to me to be an entertainer at heart. Or maybe not at heart, but you certainly deliver the goods. You know, it seems when you're when you're in person, it seems uh, you have this mojo and it comes naturally to you. And it occurred to me as I was reading Pigeon, I'm reading Pigeon and I'm thinking I'm superimposing, you know, Press Max and in in the flesh. I I, it's like, oh, I can hear him saying that or I can hear him doing that. Did you were you ever worried that? you would would be giving up that live piece. Now you're just depending on the words themselves. A lot of your readers probably will never get to know you don't know a thing about you. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I was, I'm not worried about it. I think if it's very nice of you to say I might be an entertainer at heart. I'll tell you a dirty secret that I don't know if I am an entertainer at heart. I'm just an, a, an attention seeker at heart. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's interesting. Um, but uh, but that's nice. Why to say. why are you an attention seeker? I don't know. You, you know, know, people's brains are 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 built differently, and and I, I always liked being on stage growing up. Yeah. I, I liked uh, and and being a, a creative person, and this is I think answers your question hopefully, but that there was a time a time in life where being a creative person for me that manifested itself in being on stage and playing piano or playing guitar and, or being like in high school was to be in a play or a musical or something. Sure. And I needed, I, I didn't need it. I, I loved the energy that I'd get back from an audience and I loved interacting with them and that, and that inspired me in other aspects of life. But as I got older, I discovered that the audience was still there even if they weren't directly in front of me, you know? So I, I think how... I've evolved as I've grown up is that now I have a book and sure I may not be right in front of them anymore. They may not know my face. They may not know, they may not hear these words coming out of my mouth. Yes. And, and they're, and for a book, they're not supposed to see the words coming out of my mouth. I want to put them in the story anyway and get them to know those characters. But for me, I think, okay, it's still the same energy interacting with an audience. I'm just not in the same room. Right. And that's, that's okay now. That, that's just where how I think I, I've evolved. Let let's jump into the book. I definitely want to jump in the book. Um, you said you read it. That's very nice. Oh, are, no, are of course I did. What do you think this is? Amateur hour press? <laughs> no, you're right. You'd be surprised at how many people <laughs> interview you though, and just you know, a lot of times, especially for a, a magazine or or a newspaper where the, the turnaround times are so quick sure. and everything. Yeah, I, I've had a, you know reporters more than one in the past say just straight up. We're not going to read it. We're not going to review it. We just want to talk to you about about it. And okay, <laughs> that's, interesting. that's fine too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, of course. But it's yeah. a real treat when you meet someone. Oh, who really? Reads it. Oh, well. That that's one of the the uh, beauties of doing your own podcast and just running your own show. I mean, you get. I could never do. I, I couldn't interview someone where I had no idea. Good. I got good. cliff notes. Well, that's good. But uh, <laughs> so I mean, at its heart, the th- it's so it's a story of a of a young guy who really needs an adventure, and one day. An adventure falls in his lap, and and boy, what a what an adventure! Good way to put it. Uh, yeah, he uh, and it gets so so. Two things I wanted to kind of check in with you. It's it's set in Paris, and I understand your first book is also set in Paris, mm-hmm. and uh, it it really has to do with this kind of a fantastical. It paints a fantastical picture of the world of the elite. So my question to you is why? What is there about Paris and? Uh, and tell me why you picked the elite as kind of the social strata this book was going to live yeah. in. Um, good question. Or I who knows? <laughs> right. Um, well, Paris, I, I wrote the first book in Paris because the idea had been inspired by something actual that had happened with my wife and I in Paris. My huh. wife and me. My mom's listening probably. <laughs> and she's going to call me <laughs> that if I say it wrong. Um and uh, and the second book, I mean, the, writing or doing anything creative, in my opinion, should be first and foremost satisfying to yourself or, or fun for yourself. I, I heard a quote from uh, Ricky Gervais, the the creator of The Office in Britain, who said yep. said really before anything, I didn't, I just wanted to create a television show that was my favorite, yes. and and if anyone else liked it, then that was. Just icing on the cake. That explains all those outtakes for The Office where he's laughing right, hysterically. He, exactly. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. So I've always kind of taken that approach to art, uh, inspired by him, thinking, okay, I really need to express myself first and foremost in a way that, that is authentic to me and is something that that I'm cool putting my name on. And then, and then only after it's done can I worry about, all right, how do I get people to read it, you know? So... Originally, I wrote it because I just enjoyed sort of transporting myself to Paris while I was writing. I mean, it was just I kind of wanted to feel like I was there. I wanted to reminisce, you know, that kind of thing. And I have a little bit of personal history with the city. My uh, aunt and uncle took my sister and I when we were, my sister and me, when we were 16 (laughs) um, for the entire summer. And I've been back several times since. And the time I was there with my wife most recently in 2011 was when I got the idea for Bender. So now, Press, you're you're um, deducting these vacations from your taxes, right? <laughs> right. I mean, if you write a book set in Paris, you no, can, right. should be able to deduct the thing. Well, there right. you go, you're research. Right. I didn't even think about it. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> going next month, and 
uh, I haven't perused the new tax bill enough to know what I'm going to be allowed to deduct. That is a new discussion and a different podcast, probably. But well, since you're <laughs> such an expert in how the elite function, <laughs> right. uh, I think you should be able to figure it out. Well, the to answer the second half of your yes, question about yes. the elite, I, uh, I, the the Paris in Pigeon, the the city in Pigeon is obviously. Uh, hyper-fictionalized version of the city. And I kind of like exploring this idea that, you know, maybe it exists. It's just not proven yet, you know? Uh, And (laughs) and I like like walking through cities. Any city doesn't have to be Paris. I like walking through cities and kind of glancing down a side street and saying, oh, I wonder what could be down there. Or, oh, what's behind that door that doesn't look like it's been opened in 50 years kind of thing. And... um, and for me, the role of the elite society in Pigeon, the elite social club that no one goes in, that no one knows what's behind the door. Yes. Uh, that was my way of expressing that idea of what could be, what fantastical world could be behind a door that that normal people don't go through. One of the things I love about the book is um, it is it is whimsical, it's fun, it's entertaining, and... I found myself in several places just chuckling. I mean, so you, I, you're the names, you know, Tag Latir, Elena Amandine, Dolt Dirmando for the loser boyfriend. What a great name. <laughs> um, there, so the names were fun. The sport, the, am I pronouncing it right? Pluquet? Yeah, Pluquet. Pluquet. Yeah, Pluquet. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't think it matters how to pronounce it. it prob- well, since since nobody can seem to describe how the sport <laughs> right. works. No one knows how it's played. Who cares how to pronounce it, right? <laughs> Brilliant. Classic. <laughs> the pet store, Zoo La La, you know, all these fun, the, the world you painted is is fun and whimsical. And I wondered, I found myself wondering, you know, you imagine getting a peek into the world of, a, of an elite. I mean, we all know there is an elite class. We probably know next to nothing about them. But I ne- you would never guess that they're as quirky and kind of bumbling as the people in your book. Did you? Was that kind of on purpose? Were you sort of poking fun at the idea of who these people might be? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was poking fun necessarily. I, I don't know. I was just having a really good time exploring... Um, exploring a, an environment and and kind of pushing how do I how do I maintain a true voice for these characters? How do I give them? How do I give a reader characters that they can relate to? Um, but how do I also make them ridiculous? You know, if you make them too ridiculous, then the whole thing kind of turns a little in a different direction, which would be fine, but wasn't the direction I wanted to go in if you made it a little bit too wacky, you know? I wanted to make it just wacky enough um, to to be entertaining, but I still wanted a reader to say, oh, Kavin Cravenmore, that guy is a wacky character, but ah, he reminds me of my best friend sometimes. Interesting, yeah. It did occur to me as I was reading the book that you were dancing a fine line because it is a mystery, kind of a mystery thriller in a way, yet it's got to be one of the more wacky mystery. It's certainly for me, it's one of the wackiest mystery thrillers I've ever read. And I, I remember wondering, I wonder if like a hardcore mystery reader is going to get frustrated, frustrated <laughs> by this because it's a little too wacky. Did you think about that as you were? It sounds like you did. Definitely. I, I read mysteries. I, I love them. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dashiell Hammett, uh, who's the author of Maltese Falcon and Red Harvest and The Thin Man, all these classic American mysteries. Uh, but I... My my first with with Bender at the Bon Parisian, I really sat, sat down. And I thought, okay, what book would I want to read? I love mysteries, and I want there to be a good mystery in the book. And then, but I also love fun books, and uh, you know, funny books. And typically, yeah. mysteries and comedies don't entirely, you know, cross the lines. I think they do maybe more in film than movies. But even then. Um, a good mystery, you know, doesn't yes. doesn't lean hard on on humor. So I thought, okay, well, to be really true to my voice and authentic to what I would personally want to read, I'm going to see if I can 
put these two together. And and I'm and like I said, I'm proud of Bender the Bomb Parisian, but I think I I did a better job with Pigeon melding those two genres because I the first time around I, I also love just typical classic literature that aren't that isn't mystery. I shouldn't say typical at all. Just classic literature that isn't mystery. I really like you know Ernest Hemingway, Charles Dickens, uh, mm-hmm. Dostoevsky, and those are humorless books, <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? Big time. <laughs> um, but I found myself with Bender trying to do too much, trying to. At times, there are passages where I'm just trying to sound like Ernest Hemingway, and interesting. I, any reader would see this. I'm completely transparent here, but I, I too have discovered alongside my readers that I cannot imitate Ernest Hemingway. Yeah. <laughs> or well, it's just it's like just being a, a songwriter. Oh, you know, absolutely. Oh, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be Led Zeppelin, and then you realize, right. oh shoot, you no, just, I'm not. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So with Pigeon, I was much better at letting my voice take it a character of its own. And uh, um, so you're right. Hardcore mystery readers might not like it. I, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I hope they would, uh, but they'd also, I'd hope that, that I've managed their expectations through the synopsis on the back and the cover art or maybe, you know, uh, an advertisement, th- how they ran into the book that they would expect going in that it's not a typical yeah. mystery. Yeah. Well, yeah, who knows? I don't know anything about that, but I will tell you that um, I was propelled through the book. You oh, know, good. I was, you know, I like, Thank I'm you. actually, I read mostly nonfiction. So I'm not a hardcore reader of anything, but um, I, I, I was propelled through the book. Um, who knows? Maybe part of that is, uh, gee, I'm going to be talking to press. So, <laughs> no, <right>. but um, <laughs> I, 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 there were so many times where I, I laughed out loud, you know, and again, good. The way you needled uh, the elite, I, I, I wrote one down just because it was, you know, so the, the art gallery in the club, you know, <laughs> the gallery of artwork created at the expense of someone else's freedom, health, or happiness. It's like, that was, I laughed out loud when I read that. Good, cool. When buddy. I read that line. Um, is... It's got to be hard to write a book. I mean, what's that process look like? Are you a marathon yeah. runner? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not a marathon runner. Um, I uh, I envy people who are. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's the analogy is there. Uh, it's it's definitely a, a long play. Uh, I sort of discovered that if I, well, my my basic process is this and, and I think it's different for everybody. I know a lot of people who just start writing and they just yep. write, 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 write and, and work it out. And I and I discovered early on that probably wasn't me. And if I did that and didn't know where I was going, I was churning out a lot of bad stuff. So I spent Pigeon once I had my process down after Bender. So so Pigeon, I think I started about last summer. We're talking probably late August, early, I don't know, mid, late August um, in 2016. And I spent probably two months uh, just creating an outline, being as brief as possible. Wow. And, you know, what I wanted chapter one to to be. And basically it was the only thing in the outline was who you were going to meet and what decision they were going to make to drive the story forward. Uh, and... And I didn't, I didn't have the end immediately, but I knew that I had to find the end quickly and kind of reverse engineer the story because one of my biggest problems, I think where sometimes mysteries fall flat, is when, you feel, when they do this great, incredible setup, and at the end you feel like, oh, well, that's an easy answer. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I always, always like it when I feel like the, an author is much smarter than me. You know, I feel like I'm learning something, and I feel like, oh, if I'd only seen the didn't clues, see I could have figured it out. Yeah. Didn't see it coming, right. Versus if at the end, you know, I, nothing against this particular story arc, but you, like at the end, if it all just goes away because someone wakes up and the whole thing was a dream, you, know, you think <laughs> right. like, oh, come yeah. on, what a cop out. You know, yeah, how yeah. are they going to solve it? You know, so yeah, easy. Yeah. So once I had an outline figured out after maybe a month or two, and I really spent, uh, you know, maybe just half an hour after work, uh, um, sort of in a pub downtown figuring it out or after all the kids went to bed uh, just sitting up for maybe an extra hour to, to figure it out then once I had that 
done. Um, I really had the whole thing. I, I just started writing, and I didn't write with any um, with any notion to reread and revise. I just wrote to to dump it all out, and yep. and I thought, okay, once I have, you did the whole story that way. Pretty much. Wow. It was very rare when I'd go back to do something, but there there were occasional times when I'd be halfway through chapter or whatever, and I'd go back and say, oh, you know what? If this is going to work here, i got to add something in back there. So there were one or two times like that, but not mm-hmm. many. And that was a difference in my process between Pigeon and Bender. I, I wrote Pigeon mostly just front to back, whereas Bender... I jumped all over the place. Like I had my outline for Bender, but I just sat down and I asked myself, well, what am I inspired to write today? Oh, chapter 18. I'll just dive in and see what happens. And Mm -hmm. so that's how I I did Bender. And I actually think it shows. I think Bender is a little bit more fractured, and I think it's probably, you can tell. Did it take more discipline to do, do it the way you did it with Pigeon? I thought it would, but it didn't. I I just sort of powered through, and then once I had the whole thing on paper, then I went back, and there were plenty of time, places where it was like, oh, boy, I'm going to have to build this out, and it was clear that that day that I originally wrote it, I wasn't very inspired by this moment in the book, but today I realize how, like, I realize its potential. Let's, sure. you know, flesh it out, and there were many instances like that, and then once I was revising, I, I spent a ton of time on the end. Instead of and I did jump around a lot, but the first real brain dump, I just thought I really want the whole thing like out there, and I can look at the whole shape, top to bottom, and the whole story. And uh, so that took you know uh, between probably October of 2016 until about February of 2017, because then we had our our third child early March and I took about the next two or three months just backed off. How, how hard is it to, you know, to do your quote unquote day job Yeah, and (laughs) to do this and have, uh, be raising a young family. That's gotta be insane. It's not easy. And I think my wife would say that, that I could be better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Which part or all of the above? Probably all of the yeah. above. I, I think that anyone pursuing a passion project, and, and, I'm, and I'm really an advocate of passion projects because when doing them sort of keeps me refreshed and keeps me inspired to do all the other aspects of my life. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'd completely shut down without them, but I do start to feel sort of boxed in if, and, and maybe this is part of the fact that I'm also a, a writer for a living at work, but part of the part of it is if I'm going to be writing a whole bunch of stuff for other people, and I don't mind doing that. I, I really enjoy my job and I enjoy the team I work on. But in order to keep that feeling fresh, I feel like I also have to be doing it in other ways. I mean, it's like when I was a musician, being in a cover band was fine as long as I could go and also write my own music and play that too. You know, yeah. kind of keep me energized. Um, so, and my advice to anybody working on their own passion project outside of work, outside of family life, is just uh, learn how how much sleep you need or learn how little sleep you can function on and then lean into that, you know? I mean, because... Uh, how much sleep do you need? What's the answer to that? Uh, I discovered it was between, like, probably five and six hours. Oh, my gosh. And I, I mean, is that too little? I, I mean, I've heard of, like, people who their number's like three or four, and I don't understand that. That's nuts. Yeah. But um, I don't drink any caffeine, and that kind of helps because caffeine slows me down in the mornings, I, I think, and slows me down at, at both, both ends of the candle. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, you know, if I stay up, if the kids are all in bed and asleep by 9, and my wife, especially when she was pregnant or had young ones, we had infants, she'd, you know, crash right around then also. Whereas if I stayed up another three or four hours and then got up at, you know, 6 I could, I could function. And um, do you see um, being an author is it, is your long term vision that you're going to do this full time? So well, as I mean, they say, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that would be really fun. But I I really must emphasize again that I I like my job. <laughs> like yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and and it's not. It would be different if my job was a gas station attendant or something. That's just not. My brain isn't built for me to work. 
you know, in that environment and, yeah. and in that Be way. Be bored, yeah. Right. And um, I, so I... I feel like if that was my day job, my I'd be trying like crazy to be a novelist full time. Yes. But since I'm a writer all day anyway, I I feel really, I, I feel fine. You know, yeah, um, that's good. I, I want to, yeah, and I, it's sort of a pipe dream to feel like it's to feel like being a novelist could be something full time. Of course, I wouldn't say no if the if it ever came up, but I would also feel sort of sorry to leave my professional life um, because, I, like I said, I love our team and I yeah. love writing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So. Are you familiar with uh, Tom Wolfe, the author? Yeah. I mean, I've heard the name. I haven't okay. read it. Okay. He's yeah. the guy that uh, white suits, he always wore white suits, blue shirts, mm-hmm. and it would, became a shtick of his. And he, he took this to the nth degree. He, you know, by the end of his life, I mean, he was, it was... White car, white interior, little blue <laughs> details, like his whole life was white and blue. And uh, I saw an interview of his years ago, and he admitted, he, you know, he was asked, why, why, what's the deal, Tom? You know, and he said, I feel so boring that I had to do, find some sort of shtick. Interesting. Because I was terrified of doing any sort of interview or anything. And uh, I always remember that. And it's funny because I look back on him later and I I found myself wondering is he as famous as he is just because of the shtick sure. like if you look him up you read a lot about that I was reading it I was I decided to look him up the other day and first thing I found was some article about this he this Cadillac he bought that was you know oh look at the colors it cool matches idea. his suit but uh, see you I think you have lightning in a bottle and here's why you have you're this unique cat you have you're a you're a performer right and it's so interesting it fits when you said you crave attention because now that makes sense to me yeah said okay i understand press a little bit better but you have this way anyone that just kind of glances at your facebook feed or your you know the stuff you're doing it's just you've got this kind of mesmerizing quality to you so if it's exciting to think about how you could use those tools to kind of hack through the jungle of, uh, you know, kind of quote unquote making it as an author. You know what I mean? Um, Have you, what have you learned about the business of writing books? There's got to be a lot of info there. There there is. Uh, I I, I think I'm always learning about it. I shouldn't say that that there's a lot of info. Uh, I think some ideas were, were transferred from trying to be, in our own, in my own band. I mean, writing a book, you know this, everybody I think probably listening knows this, your audience, you know, writing a book, being in a band, being a painter. I mean, these are all small businesses, you know, and there you go. And, uh, maybe with being an artist, uh, maybe a little bit more so than, than other businesses, your personal brand is maybe tied a little bit more to the product. I mean, in my opinion, the personal brand always matters when you're trying to sell something, but people buy paintings half because a lot of times half because they like the painting and then they might have heard of the artist, know the artist. There's a certain prestige there. Sure. Um, so I'm aware of that. And, uh, um, I think there are a lot of lessons that are transferable from that. I, I work in, uh, obviously, like I said, a, a marketing department, writing, advertising, writing website copy, and I learn a lot of lessons there that are small ones that I can apply. Interesting. Um, and I, I went to business school in part so I could get a job and make a living as a creative, but also in the back of my head thinking, okay, well, I'm going to want to you know, sell my own art someday. Like, you know, what little you know, things can I apply uh, there and one kind of note on differentiation. That's nice of you to say about lightning in a bottle. No one's ever told me that. that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I went. Uh, I, I used to. I feel like I met you in person for the first time, maybe at the Mass Ave Wine Shop. Is that uh, true? It's exactly true. Okay. Right. So I met Molly that day too. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's my she's my sidekick. I'm her sidekick. Right? <laughs> uh, so. I used to take my accordion down there occasionally. I, I usually played guitar when I played in the wine shop. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the woman who owned the wine shop, Jill Dittmeyer, um, always sort of encouraged me to, to play accordion. I think just because 
every other player she had in there didn't play accordion. I'm just, sure. You know, thought that was interesting. And it should be noted that I'm not a good accordion player. <laughs> anyway, uh, she is now a WFYI uh, anchor uh, for All Things Considered, has been for several years now. And when I was promoting Bender the Bone Parisian, she was so nice, had me on the show during rush hour, did a little interview. And before the interview, she called and she says, oh, bring the accordion. And I kind of <laughs> thought, I kind of thought, why? I'm promoting the book. Like, I don't have anything. But I took it to the interview and, and it, it sort of worked because accordion is sort of the unofficial instrument of Paris, France. Interesting. The book is set in Paris. Yeah. And, and from my experience, you know, if you're going to walk around the city for a day or two, you are probably going to run into someone playing it on the street corner somewhere or down in a metro stop or something. Um, so it worked. And Jill told me after that interview, she said, take the accordion everywhere you go. And, and I said, oh, come on. It's not, you know, the thing. And she says, no, you're going to go to a ton of readings. You're going to go to book fairs, things where there's a lot of authors around and a lot of readers around. Says you will be remembered if you take an accordion. She is one. absolutely right. I know. She's so, absolutely right. So, and I know what you're thinking right now. Obvi- I'm obviously accordionless right now. <laughs> oh, thank um, God. <laughs> I don't know how to mic an accordion press. <laughs> it is so loud. I don't know if you'd need to. I could play it right now, and the entire block would hear it. Um, but I, I also, uh, you can probably hear I'm doing kind of a Tom Waitsy thing right now, but just right. because of the sickness is coming in. So I oh. thought if I, if I took it, I, I couldn't probably sing very well anyway. <laughs> um, but I, I did, I wrote a little song about my, my first book as a, as a little advertisement for the song. And so I, that was one of the lessons that I, I learned that um, it's not enough to say, hey, I wrote a novel, you should read it. Because although many people probably don't have a lot of author friends, uh, I don't think it's necessarily a stretch to say that that it's not unique enough. I know you can't qualify unique. Yeah, but well, think, I mean, think of some of the famous authors. You know, we already talked about Tom Wolfe and his, uh, his shtick. You know, think of Truman Capote, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly... I never read a Truman Capote book, but I know Truman Capote is, mm-hmm. is an author. Uh, heck, I've seen seen a movie with him in it. <laughs> but it's it to me, it's an interesting way. Again, getting back to this, you have this presence. You're this interesting oh, nice. guy, and yes, I I totally agree with that advice. Anything you can do to be yourself, because yeah. here's what it is, press. Like when I saw that you had a book, okay. My first thought was, I want to read. A book that Press Maxson wrote, you know, because you're just an interesting guy. Just like I want to read, hear a song that you wrote. I want to watch you perform or whatever. So I am all for that idea of be different, be yourself, promote the heck out of it. I'll I'll tell you this too. Getting back to here, here we are back to Darren's Indian Tune podcast. Yeah, I I got to meet him someday because I never met Darren. Never met him. He oh, asked crazy. me once. He I somehow I think he figured out that that I'm a songwriter and and stuff and he he invited me on the show once and I said no way. Oh no, me? really? That, yeah, <laughs> I, do I don't it. know why. <laughs> well, but uh in all the in all the Indian tune episodes I've listened to there there are two times two times two guests he's had one one's a band, one's you know whatever, one's you. <laughs> two times said they're they're gonna get famous. Oh, you're that's one nice. of the two. Oh my I God. always said Press Maxon's gonna be <laughs> famous someday, so I'm gonna snap a picture with you before we get out of here. But uh, Extra Blue Kind is the other one. Extra Blue Kind? I don't think I know that. Oh, you don't know that band? No, I will check it no out. No kidding. Uh, I'm gonna write it down right now. Oh yeah, check out their music. It is it's. Uh, and I guess you know, who who knows? Maybe maybe you'll listen to him and say, "Oh, what's what's the big uh, deal?" Maybe I shouldn't admit that I don't know them on air, I mean, just because, <laughs> just because Darren and I are homies, and and if, <laughs> and if they're getting play on Indian Tune, it's already established with me and Darren that I don't listen. Enough well, I mean, full Indian disclosure, tune. I think it was years ago that I either it may even have been that I heard them mentioned on his podcast. Maybe mm-hmm. they weren't even guests. Yeah, but I I. 
I uh, remember downloading their music, and I said, oh, my gosh, these guys have it, whatever it is. Yeah, cool. But, uh, yeah. I'll check them out. The, you know, I think there's this um, thing about music. And I, wa- I wanted to ask you, um, do you know um, Hubert Selby Jr.? Uh, that name rings a bell, but I, it's, I don't get a he's, face with it. Or. Okay, so he's a... Um, He's a very interesting author. He's now deceased. Uh, he wrote uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn is one of his hmm. kind of famous books. But he mm-hmm. has this. Um, I had heard that he has this very unorthodox um, writing style, which after reading Last Exit to Brooklyn, I, it, he does. You know, he he breaks all the rules, all yeah. the grammar rules and all the. And you would think, OK, breaking the grammar rules, that how's that going to work? Right. Well, it works beautifully. It turns out it works beautifully. And somehow, I, when I read a, a Hubert Selby Jr. book, I, um, <laughs> it's, it's like I'm right, the, I can hear, it's like the conversation is right there in my head. That's it's cool. so real, right? Yeah. It's really cool. And I, so I, I remember noticing that. Well, years later, I, I learned that he was a musician. He used to... Mm. Um, he was uh, uh, big into jazz. He would hang out at jazz clubs and stuff. And upon reflection, you know, I, and a little life experience, I think there's something to um, the, the the musical language translates a little bit. You know, it's a, a, a you write a, a song, you write a book, you're still kind of writing something. I, I think there's a correlation. Do you do you feel that way? Absolutely. Uh what, what here's kind of an, an interesting thing that I think I, I discovered at some point, and I don't remember the exact moment I discovered it, but when I was writing lyrics, I, I mean, I spent almost more time writing lyrics than I did writing music, uh, and my process was to always come up with a melody first. I wanted the melody to be really compelling, and I felt like I could tell if someone took a lyric first and then tried to squeeze it into a compelling melody. Yeah. I, I had to kind of do it the other way. I'd write a melody and let's say the melody had eight notes in it. Um, and that meant to me, I needed a lyric with eight syllables and it wasn't just eight syllables. It had to be eight syllables where the emphasis fell naturally on the, on the expressive tone of the melody. So like if the melody is like, you know, Bada bada, like you need a word that's that sounds bada bada, like yeah. like accent on the first syllable, accent on the third syllable. Yeah. Um, and uh, or no, that would be like bada bada. <laughs> anyway, you get my drift. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So so when I was writing those lyrics, I thought to myself, okay, um, I don't have a single syllable to waste. They have to be perfect. Yeah. And and that. Those setting up those rules for myself, saying, okay, I need a line with exactly eight syllables that has an accent on the first, fourth, fifth, and eighth, uh, you know, note, um, really kind of, that opened me up creatively as a writer, and I was suddenly finding words like the, and, uh, was, were all started to sound really dull and non-expressive to me. Sure, mm. they're short and they might be a nice filler here and there. And yes, you need them here and there, but they don't do anything to express your idea. They just eat up a really valuable syllable. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And um, similar with with words that that aren't words but are sounds. Like in the phrase, I'm stealing this from someone I was in a poetry class with in college, where one of their words, one of their phrases, or their line. Their line was, oh, so sweet. And I remember the, the instructor of that class was, kind of said, like, why do you need the word, oh? Doesn't so sweet do it? Interesting. And do you even need so? <laughs> like, so sweet? What is that telling us? I mean, maybe yeah. it works. Maybe it doesn't. It depends on the context of the other lines. But doesn't just the word sweet say what it's supposed to say? So all of a sudden, I find myself in that world as a songwriter, applying those kind of rules to myself as a writer of of written words then once i started writing a novel i thought okay it's a little bit more like building a house than building a chair when you're building a chair it has to be perfect in the sense that that someone sits in a chair you know when you're in an unstable chair you know when your chair is tilting a little in the wrong way people are so particular about their chair when you're building a house there's so much wood going in it there's so much lumber my original thought was 
was, okay, I just got to get it standing up. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's okay if there are a few imperfections. And I kind of learned quickly that maybe not. People know when the floors are tilting in their house. You know, people know when <laughs> something's wrong in a house. So all of a sudden, I even though I was writing sixty-five thousand words, seventy thousand words, I thought, man, I still don't have a syllable to waste. And Interesting. That was kind of a daunting realization, uh, but definitely something carried over from music. Yeah, I do think songwriting can be maddening. I don't oh, yeah. know about you. <laughs> when I was really into songwriting, I mean. It's the process generally, at least for me, was was really I hear it in my head and then I can translate it. Well, which is pretty nifty. And I had all sorts of friends, I'm sure like you, that say would say, oh, I wish I could do that. Well, how about when you can't turn it off? You know, and so I used (laughs) to. So it took years after putting it down. I it was like a radio station playing in my head. Mm -hmm. I constantly heard music. Uh, I almost started seeing it as some sort of psychosis almost like the, it's a fine line when you're an artist, you know, yeah. between madness and yeah, uh, I genius, agree. I guess. I don't know. I still record those snippets, not record them, but like write them down. I record them somehow, you yeah. know, uh, cause I, I still write songs. I just do it a little bit, a lot less frequently. But like in my wallet, I'm pretty sure I, I just have little snippets uh, of things, um, that is classic. Like on, on post-it notes, oh like little, uh, little ideas that <laughs> are supposed to become songs. I'm thinking of a specific one that I can share. Uh, yeah, here, here's one. Um, uh, so this was inspired by my, my brother-in-law's wedding. It goes, I drove my car to Cleveland. <laughs> I drove my car to Cleveland. And then this is the, the second half is for a dance party but that's all i have <laughs> like that's probably the shout chorus i love it and, and, but i don't have the rest of the song then yeah. here's a second one i was this is just one powerful line that i was so pleased with that i don't have a song built around le- yet my second cousin cat fished his future x y which i thought had so much punch in that line my second cousin catfished his future ex-wife I think that is an epic line, yeah. but I don't have a song, a song around it yet. But, <laughs> but when I when it came to me, when that radio station played it in my head, I was like, my yeah. second cousin catfished his future ex-wife. I'm going to have to write it down. <laughs> Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, I'll have the whole thing down just so. Have I, you ever been uh, compared to Ben Foltz? Uh, well, it doesn't help too much that I'm a piano player. Yeah. And I actually, my singing voice doesn't sound too dissimilar from right, him. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so yeah. definitely. Yeah. And the band that I was in when I lived on the West Coast was piano-based drums, and Ben Folds 5 yep. was piano-based drums. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I've got that a lot. I will absolutely admit, I don't feel like, I feel like that's probably where the similarities end in a sense. I mean, he is uh, as close to a creative genius as I think I've probably ever seen or I got to meet him once so maybe it's uh, maybe ever met uh yeah um but yeah he's he's an incredible guy an inspiring lyricist inspiring musical yeah genius I mean hey since we're both musicians I would be remiss if I didn't say let's share and I don't I don't know how pod how this works on a podcast I'm Uh gonna use bad language let's let's share our uh, shit gig story right okay okay I'll, I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share. Like, go up ahead. until up until a year ago, I would have shared my own one, which was essentially, I played in a nursing home. Oh, dude, I've been there before. That, those yeah, aren't yeah. bad gigs. Okay, okay. <laughs> now I'm gonna share one that I witnessed. Okay. Which, oddly enough, was also in a nursing home. This Are you was, about to say I was at a Press Maxon show? <laughs> no, no. No. Okay. So, I was. Uh, so my dad. Uh, uh, had Alzheimer's and and was in a nursing home the last few years of his life, and uh, we were uh, there to visit. On I think it was Thanksgiving was the celebration Thanksgiving, and they had a night. Who was in a really nice place, and they had a great thing. Well, they had entertainment, mm-hmm. and you know, imagine. I mean, this is a guy, some guy, very hardworking, took this gig. Very, very seriously. Oh, I mean, yeah. I he had pressed his, he had the frilly tux, 
He had the, <laughs> he had, I think he brought an accordion. He had, and I mean, he was working it hard. Yeah. You know, he's, and, you know, halfway into, you know, volare, whatever, whatever uh-huh. it was, someone in a, t- in a table just right in front of him just dies in her soup, literally. No. Yeah. Oh my and, gosh. Which is, it's horrible. But I mean, when you're in a nursing home, you know, it's not. It's not she, the end of the world. She world. actually died, or just like no. She actually that. died. Oh my gosh! And <laughs> of course, terrible. that little part of my brain that says, "Oh, I'm I'm watching this guy's worst gig ever." Like this is right. I watch a guy, you know, because my one of my early thoughts. I mean, it's sad, but one of my thoughts was like, "Is he going to stop? Like, what do you do right. in this situation?" Oh my gosh! He went. He didn't miss a beat. He just he kept just went he for f- it. <laughs> Jeez. Totally went for it. All right, what's your story? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, there are plenty of nights. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've played a lot. I mean, I've played countless gigs, uh, th- and there were plenty of nights where I felt like I played badly, or uh, as a band, you know, I felt like maybe I got too drunk, and and a, our drummer in our band was always so good at keeping me in check and saying, you know. Like the hey hey gotta sound good tonight that kind of thing yeah um, so I can think of ones where either we we disagreed on something with the promoter with the door person or whatever but all those are kind of unentertaining stories because that's eh, just standard live music right. stuff like it, right. you're not gonna have every night be perfect you know yep um, so I don't know if this is like a shit gig story as much as it's just something like this had never happened to me before. Uh, and it wound up being great in the end. But there were a few white-knuckle moments in the middle where I thought, oh, is this the one, the one that ends my <laughs> career? So I had, I had just moved here, and I was picking up any gig I could get, uh, you know, playing piano at weddings. Uh, I was playing piano down at Howl at the Moon a couple nights a week, uh, which is a dueling piano bar in downtown Indy. Yep. Um, I, uh, I played guitar anywhere I could, and I was always on uh, Craigslist, you know, musician wanted ads. So I saw an uh, I saw an ad one day um, posted at like 11 in the morning, and the person said, "We need a a singer songwriter to do a Nashville style singer songwriter in the round evening of performance." And so what that is, I usually have two or three musicians on stage at once, just in chairs, yep. kind of like a VH1 storyteller's vibe, sure. where you talk about the song, yeah, yeah. you play it. And if the other two musicians are good enough, that maybe they can join in with you on a harmony or sure, something. But sure. there's no rehearsal. It's a conversation. And you each take turns playing a song. Yep. So I thought, wow, that's so cool. Let's do it. I call the number. And the guy says, all right, well, it's tonight. And we, uh, we had someone cancel. So it's, we need someone tonight. And this is great. I just moved here from Nashville. I'm trying to start a Nashville-style singer-songwriter yeah. thing. I thought, oh, this is perfect. He said, hey, just a heads up for you, it's it's in a church. Like, how do you feel about that? And I kind of said, well, um, I, I mean, I'm, I said, I'm totally fine with that. I said, I don't write Christian music. Yeah. You know, I, 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 don't, um, I, I don't even have anything close to that. I said, so if this is a, you know, uh, an audience that's looking for Christian music and it's in a church, I said, maybe actually I'm not the right guy. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, the thing is, my wife is a pastor at this church, and we and it's a big church. We have a coffee shop in it. It's just the easiest place. I can get the space with enough people, and a lot of my friends like to go there. Yep. So yep. it's convenient. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, if you're cool with me playing you know, non-Christian music, I, I'm cool with it, too. Let's have a great time. Okay, great. So... I rush home after work, I grab the guitar, I, I rush over there, and, and it started right at six or something, so I got there at the tick of six. I mean, I come in, and it's a nice little stage, lights set up, uh, full sound system, obviously, and I, I walk in the moment we're starting. I mean, it's two guys in chairs on stage and an empty chair with like another spotlight on it, you yeah. know, for me, and, and the host is, is standing up at a mic, and he's talking to probably 40 or 50 people, like nice little crowd, and he's saying, hey, here's how we're going to do this tonight. And as soon as he sees me walking in the back, he says, oh, this must be Press Max. And, you know, and everyone turns, and I, I kind of wave. <laughs> he says, Press, we're going to go ahead and get started. We'll start with Jim down on the end. Go ahead, like, take your seat, like, tune, do whatever you need to do. But, like, we're going to get started. And I think, great. So I go up there, and here's... Well, the punchline hits. I, I sit down and 
as uh, as the the host is finishing up his spiel, the guy next to me leans over and is like, says, "Hey, man, so glad you could do this last minute. Uh, it's so great to meet another Christian singer songwriter." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on stage when he says it's like the lights are on me. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, what? I said, no, no I talked to Tim before this. I said, yeah, he said it was cool. You said, I, I got a song about my uh, catfishing uh, right. guy's uh, future ex-wife. <laughs> right. I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. He said it was cool. I, I'm not a Christian singer songwriter. And the guy next to me goes, uh, oh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, me neither. Me neither. Don't worry about it. Uh, I mean, like, I have some Christian songs, but no, 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 I'm totally not a Christian songwriter either. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. You're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And I was just like, oh, what is about to happen? And meanwhile, the host kicks it to the first singer. And, of course, the first singer, who has not heard the side conversation sure. between me and the middle guy, the first guy says, hey, everybody, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, I'm going to kick this off. And uh, my first song is about my personal journey with Christ. <laughs> and, and, of course, I'm like, on the end of, oh, gosh, what's happening? Plays a song. It was, not, it was good. Uh, everything was fine. He, the, the next guy kind of says, hey, everybody, yeah, let's hear it for Jim. Okay, my name is Travis. Uh, and the whole time he's talking to the crowd, he's, like, giving me side eye, like, watching my reaction. He <laughs> says, Hey, uh, most of you know me for my songs uh, in the garden and at the altar of love and his hands. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to play I'm going to play some of my other stuff, too, tonight, um, because I'm definitely not solely a singer songwriter. That's just Christian. Um, but, you know, just to keep with the vibe that Jim said, I'm, I'm going to do my song about my personal journey with Christ. Uh, you know, and so I'm just like, oh my gosh. So when it came to me, I thought, well, you know, uh, I only really know one thing and that's how to be myself. And, and yep. you know, it goes all the way back to this fundamental aspect of life. You can only tr control your own behavior, you know, and, and you can, you, if you're not being authentic or true to yourself, then, yeah. then whatever you're going to do is unsuccessful. So I just, before I played a note, I just came out and I said, look, everybody, I said, I, I, I talked to Tim on the phone earlier. Um, <laughs> he's well aware that I don't have any songs about my personal journey with Christ. I don't want to have any of that. So I'm going to sing you some songs about girls. <laughs> I'm going to sing you, you know, some songs about the time a dog ran away. <laughs> you know, uh, the first one's called She Uses Sex as a Weapon. <laughs> Uh, you know, and luckily for me, <laughs> luckily for me, they were so nice. They ate it up. We had a great time. I actually did that gig. They had me back. We did it for like another year and a half after. They had you back. Oh, man. I'm not surprised at all. That guy, Tim, who who had organized it at first, the host, yeah. became like one of my best friends. Still is. No like, kidding. And his wife jokes that we're Craigslist friends because <laughs> we met on Craigslist. But we sort of forget that, we, you know, we ever met on Craigslist. Yeah. We, we started a two-person act together. We played at the wine shop no kidding. like a hundred times wow. together. I mean, so it all wound up well and good. But there were a few moments, like I said in the middle, that were these white-knuckle moments where I thought, oh, no, this is the gig. <laughs> this is the gig that I talk about for the rest of my life. It's the one that, that ended my career or... Or probably not ended my career, but, you know, we'll go down as the worst one. So luckily it wasn't. But. There's this, I, that story is awesome <laughs> and nothing about it surprises me. And I could just picture, I could just picture you that night. There's something about you. Uh, you are, I think because you're so creative, you know, there's, there's something about you. There's an element of you uh, that is a little bit tortured, like. You're someone else is driving the bus a little bit, right? <laughs> like press does not have, press does not have full. I'm not in control. control. Of anything. That's not, it. I don't that's feel it. like I'm in control. You're a uh, what do they say? You're a vessel or something that's, like that. That's nice. And so, <clears throat> like that wine shop night. Do you remember? You probably don't remember this. There was a press Maxon moment where you were out of control. You had no control over yourself. You're a performer. You probably don't remember this, right? I'll, so I'll share it with you. We, I've already said shit gig, so... That, so uh, oh, no, I'm afraid of what I said. It's not bad. It was funny. It was funny. <laughs> but it's this moment where you were... You you can't control your... You're uh -huh. not totally in control. It's this nice evening. You're playing songs. We're sitting there, you know, 
That's I mean, I could tell you could tell Molly is like your biggest fan, you know. She was totally nice. enjoying, you know. Yeah. And uh these two young ladies were walking down Mass Ave and the the door was open, right? <laughs> and the they're on the sidewalk. They walked in front of the door and just it was instantaneous. You said through the microphone, "What's up, sluts?" you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> in the hole <laughs> and uh, then 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 what did you do right was after it, that you turned was it playing a song like is it mid song or was it just i think it was mid song yeah, yeah it's, you're it's inside on brand if it's a mid-song. yeah you were mid song what's up sluts and then the very next thing you did is you looked at the owner yeah jill i'm so sorry <laughs> you just went right Good. into that oh, man. and and so I can just picture you at that church. And <laughs> I mean, yes, you got to be you. That's who you are. That's part of the package. Yeah. That's why I still I'm, I'm still putting my my money on you. Uh, <laughs> the, well, uh, I, I, uh, I, I might I might remember that only because I don't really remember the girls walking by anything. But there were several moments where I got a lecture from Molly about like, hey, <laughs> they let you play this place. You have to behave, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've become a lot better about watching things I say or, you know, trying to gauge when a joke is appropriate. Um, yeah. I think that's part of growing up. It's happened to me later than it than, than it did for Molly, and that's why I get lectured. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I totally I recognize instantly. It's like that showbiz, man. You're you're surfing on a rainbow. I mean, the thing's going <laughs> to you're going to crash a couple of times. I like that. I'm going to use that later. Surfing on a rainbow. Yeah. Man, just surfing on a rainbow yeah. here, honey. Calm down. Hey. Uh so the book is Pigeon. I really would encourage anyone to go out and get it. I think it's to, it's it's a it was a real fun read for me. Um, Amazon.com Indie Reads Books on Mass Ave here in Indianapolis and Books and Brews in Carmel Press Max. And thanks so much for your time. It's been this a blast. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Okay. Oh, well, before we, anything coming up, out in the future, do you have any outlines going on? Uh, um, hold the presses. Yeah, hold the presses. Uh I, you know, I always, I have a few ideas for sort of my next creative project and I, and I, I have really two sides of my brain, a creative side and sort of a marketing side. And I'm still, I'm still exploring the marketing side on how to get pigeon red. So I haven't ah, dove into my next yeah, yeah. one yet. Um, and, okay. uh, so no, I don't, but I like that there's fun things coming up this, this spring, the Carmel library author fair will be uh, in April. Uh, I'm speaking at the Alliance Francaise, the North Shore of Chicago, on uh, April 16th. I'm excited about that. Wow! Um, so that there are there are a few things coming up. Cool, very cool. Yeah. Well, we'll keep our eyes glued, and uh, I I'm sure this is not the last time uh, you'll be on Who's Your Hometown cool. Heroes. Big fan. Uh, thanks. Thank you. If anybody listening wants to connect, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at PressMaxon, and I'd be happy to happy to virtually meet you. Awesome. Thanks, Press. Thanks, Tony.